On this episode of the BYO Nano Podcast, we're talking about two things that are critically important to your brewery, but don't get discussed often enough, insurance and water. This is John Hall, and welcome to the show. Episode 17, and we're back in late spring. Mass requirements are being lifted, people are getting vaccinated, and we're all making tentative plans to rejoin the world and get back to our old familiar ways. As we look forward, I thought we should also look inward to important infrastructure. And yes, that's a buzzword these days, but infrastructure inside of breweries, making sure that we're all well insured and in the right way, and also taking stock of our water. With that in mind, I'm really pleased to welcome to the show Melena Farrell. She's the president and COO of Cedar Risk Management, and John Palmer. He's a home brewer, author, and all-around water expert. I'm going to talk with both of them in a moment, but first, however, I'm happy to tell you that this episode is sponsored by ABS Commercial. ABS Commercial is giving back to the craft beer community. ABS will be selecting one lucky brewery who will receive a free keg Viking keg washer. ABS has given away two keg washers to date, one to Rough Edges Brewing in Pennsylvania and another to Lazy Horse Brewing in Nebraska. The third keg washer winner will be announced on June 4th, live on the ABS Commercial Facebook page. To enter the contest, visit abs-commercial.com. We're also brought to you by Yakima Chief Hops. Yakima Chief Hops has officially launched their newest product, Cryopop Original Blend. YCH has combined their proprietary cryogenic hop processing technology with cutting-edge lab analysis to create cryohops with a pop. Using this new research to identify the most beer-soluble hop compounds that survived the brewing process, they engineered a supercharged pellet that shows massive tropical, stone fruit, and citrus aroma in your finished beers. Learn more at cryopopblend.com. And we're also brought to you by BSG Craft Brewing. Distinguished listeners, we present to you a new hop solution from BSG, one of the highest pedigree and prestige, Nobility. Specifically developed with lager brewing in mind, Nobility is focused on balanced, noble-style hop character. Enjoy the primary aromas and flavors of citrus, lemongrass, green tea, and herbaceous with an alluring mixture of floral and spice. Get to know Nobility by going online to bsgcraftbrewing.com. And also a reminder to sign up today for the BYO Boot Camps. Coming up on May 21st, don't miss a full-day, live, online craft brewery startup boot camp. If you've ever dreamed about opening up your own brewery, get the numbers and plans you need to be more successful with Steve Parks of the American Brewers Guild, Audra Gazanis on business planning, and Matthew McLaughlin on startup legal tips. More information on the 7-hour workshop can be found at byo.com bootcamps. Okay, let's get into it. Insurance is one of those things that you don't want to think about until you have to think about it. Having the right policy is important, and as Melena Farrell, the president and COO of Cedar Risk Management, will tell you, working with the right company is even more important. Planning in advance, checking in regularly, and making sure you're covered in all the right areas can only help your small brewery avoid potential financial disaster down the road. Melena spoke to me from Flemington, New Jersey. What should what should small brewery owners be thinking about in your world? I get that most people don't like insurance. It's not 
something that they want to have to buy. It's not something that they ever want to have to use. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's it's daunting. It's its own language. It's its own universe. My first recommendation for small brewers, for any brewery in particular, is go to an insurance agency that knows how to insure breweries. Yeah. So often we find that the biggest problem is, you know, oh, Joe down the block does my home and auto. So why don't I talk to him about my business insurance? Or, hey, you know, my cousin just got his life insurance license. Why can't he do my brewery insurance? Because, you know, I'm just helping out my cousin, my friend, my whomever. And there's a lot of intricacies to the brewery world and to the brewery insurance world that if you don't know what you're doing, you really don't know what you're doing and you can mess a lot of things up in the policy um, or just overlook it completely. What, what's a good example of something being overlooked that you've seen in the past? The, sadly, the most common issue that we see is people forget that liquor liability is a really big part of the brewery insurance program. And in the past, even just in the past six months, I've seen probably a dozen brewery policies that don't include liquor. There's just a full exclusion. And I don't know what the reasoning is for it. I don't know if it was too expensive and, or it wasn't discussed or what, but in my mind, that's the one thing, it's one of the things that sets breweries apart. It's you're dealing with liquor. So you need to have insurance if there's a liquor issue yeah. and, and to not have that coverage is upsetting in my mind. That's not the real word I want to say, but I'll be polite. Well, I, you don't have to. I mean, this is, uh, <laughs> I think it drives, I, I think it's driving home the point, but like uh, uh, upsetting because let's unpack that a little bit. What, what's upsetting about it and what can, like, what are the very real world ramifications if somebody is not covered in the correct way? So the liquor, a standard insurance policy for a business is going to cover um, for a manufacturing business in particular, which is what a brewery is. For the most part, they're a manufacturer of a product. So traditionally for a manufacturer, you've got, you know, if people come in and, and just slip and fall, you know, someone just trips on your premises, there's going to be coverage for it. If um, you slander or liable, there's coverage for it. For the physical product, a standard manufacturing insurance policy is going to cover the physical actual product. So if you have a pen and there's something wrong with the pen that every time you click the pen, it sends a shock through someone's hand. <laughs> That's an issue, right? Yeah. Um, for most food or for most beverage, if, you know, if, and you hear about it all the time, someone opens up a package of fruit loops or, you know, whatever it happens to be and there's glass in it or there's whatever. So the physical product is actually injuring your body in some way. A standard insurance policy is going to cover that. A standard insurance policy is going to say if there's any liquor, alcohol, anything like that involved, we are hands off because we don't cover the alcohol side. We only cover the physical product. Okay. With a brewery program with the liquor liability, they're saying if 
someone is consuming this product and the effects of the alcohol cause something to happen, not the, the liquid, but what happens from it. If it causes a fight on premises, if it causes someone to swerve into oncoming traffic, it's, it's the effects that change the insurance policy and the, the liquor part of it for a brewery, you know, yes, you're making a product, but you're also making a product that affects how some people act. And if you don't have coverage for that portion of it, what, what are you getting? Like, yes, someone can slip and fall on your premises and you can have coverage, but if that person was drinking, then alcohol was involved and the courts are going to say, hey, the insurance policy doesn't have to pay because liquor was involved and it was a slip and fall, you know, because she was overserved and therefore insurance buy, you know, you got to pay yeah. out of pocket, Mr. Owner. And, and that's a gigantic issue. That's, you know, that in my mind, that's everything. And the liquor claims can be millions of dollars. So, you know, most people that I know in my circle don't have millions of dollars to pull out of their pocket and be like, hey, sure, let's pay this. Most of my friends, you know, my circle, um, we would have to go to insurance. And if insurance isn't going to back you on that because you don't have the coverage, it, it, that there's, there's a slight problem. So I get very anxious and I get very angry when I see policies that don't have just this basic should be most common portion of the insurance product. I don't understand how it's not there. Um, and I get mad because you, in my mind, the insurance professional, because that's what we are. We're professionals. We're all yeah. licensed individuals. We go to school for it. Um, the insurance professional should have known better. You know, in my mind, there's no excuse for the insurance person to let that slide. And that's, you know, I think really drives home the point of having an agency people who understand, you know, the business and not necessarily, you know, a cartoon lizard on television that you know, <laughs> might save you a couple of bucks. Because yeah. um, it's, it's, I think it's that cost savings that yes. drives a lot of people where it's like, well, yeah, but that's expensive versus versus this. I, I I remember early on, like in my life, somebody said, you know, like, you know, if, if, if you can't afford it, you know, get, always get, you know, the best policy that you can, because it's, it's an investment in saving money down the line. Mm -hmm. Um, is, is that been your experience? And I know, you know, you obviously want to you know, sell good policies to, 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 to people as well, but, um, you know, how, how do you, how do you talk to people about, you know, spending money early on versus saving money later? It's funny because depending on the circumstances, there are a lot of times when we're saving people money and we're giving them a superior product. Um, obviously all insurance companies differ and all of their rates are different. And, you know, you see the 15% can save you, you know, 15 minutes can save you 15%. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what everybody knows is that, you know, in the minds of most consumers, insurance is a commodity and let's go for the cheapest one. Right. Um, but we are lucky that we have, you know, great insurance companies out there that specialize in breweries and their specialization and their knowledge of 
what types of coverage should be there and how to rate for it properly mm-hmm. mean that they know how to rate for it properly and the policies aren't going to be outlandishly expensive. Um, most of the insurance companies that you know are writing breweries as a one-off don't know how to rate for them properly, don't know how to how to cover them properly and are charging more. So in our reality, we've found that most of the time, the programs that we work with, um, and there's six really solid programs that we work with, most of them end up being cheaper than going to the big names that you hear on TV who only write maybe one or two breweries, don't know how to do it correctly, aren't rating it correctly, you know, they, they come to us and they show us what they have. And we're like, hey, we can save you money and we can give you a far superior product. So luckily, the vast majority of the time, that's not the biggest part of the conversation. Um, we try to keep price out of it as much as possible until the very end. And we try to explain, you know, we, we'll do a side-by-side comparison and say, you have this, you're missing all of these things. These are all of the things that we're giving back to you. Is it worth it? And, you know, and go into the details of, like I was saying, liquor liability or spoilage coverage or, you know, some of the nuanced things and say, if you have a claim and the insurance company isn't going to pay out, you're losing maybe $30,000 in this batch. Would you rather pay, you know, $500 more, $1,000 more? What is that coverage worth to you? And yeah. once the business owner really thinks about what that coverage is worth to them and they come up with a number and we're like, all right, so you just said you think it's worth X amount. The insurance company is only going to charge you $200, $500, whatever the number is. How does that sound? And once we've already got it in their minds that this is what could happen if you don't have it. This is how much you can lose if you don't have it. And these are the couple hundred dollars that it's going to cost. Why wouldn't you want to do that for your business? Protect your business. And a lot of cases protect, you know, your entire family's income. Yeah. I like, I I always enjoy these conversations because, you know, I'm not familiar, overly familiar, like with your line of work or your industry. But when I hear the passion that comes through of, you know, trying to get people the right policy and trying to like, you know, help people. Um, it, it, it's kind of fun. Like it's exciting because like, it, it's not something that you, you often get excited or ramped up about, I think in, in, in our everyday lives. So, um, uh, it's also early. We're recording this at eight 30 on a Friday morning. Uh, and my first cup of coffee hasn't kicked in. So this is, uh, uh this, this is a good way of, of doing it. Um, if, if somebody has, I, I guess the other question that, that that I've been thinking about a lot in my own life is um, how often should I be revisiting and revising policies? Like if, if I have a policy, you know, or if I'm a small brewery owner, um, what changes that happen inside of the brewery dictate making a phone call saying, hey, I've just done this. Uh, should anything change? In the beginning, um, especially, you know, the first two years, I like to say that there should be a touch point at least once a quarter. Okay. So much is changing in the beginning. And, you know, a lot of insurance is based on guessing. 
It's based on, you know, we think we're going to make X amount of barrels. We think we're going to make this many batches. We think we're going to make this much money. We think we're going to need, you know, this amount of raw material. So the insurance policy will pay, will say, okay, we think we're going to rate you based on what you think you're going to do. So in the very beginning, we like to have conversations a lot more frequently and say, all right, you know, you told us you thought you might make $100,000 this year. Do you think you're on track? Where do we need to adjust that up? Do we need to adjust that down? You said originally you weren't going to be hiring any people in the first year. Have you changed your mind on that? Are, are you looking to hire people? Are you looking to, to make changes? What are you thinking? So in the beginning, it the conversation is a lot more frequent just because so much is changing, so much is new, so much has been guessed, so much could happen as soon as you open those doors that you never expected to happen. <laughs> Pandemic, hello. <laughs> yeah. You know, there was a lot that changed. And, and that's actually a really good example because, you know, February of 2020, all the breweries were going along, you know, there were tons of breweries that were looking to open. We were working with a lot of potential startups. We had a lot of, you know, obviously a lot of clients who were looking to, to expand or to do different things. And, you know, come the end of March, everything changed. So we started having conversations with all of our clients saying, okay, what are you doing? You know, oh, you're going into distribution. All right, we need to change your policy to do this oh, you ended up not buying all that equipment or it can't come in from China or whatever. Um, oh, you decided that you're going to buy a vehicle. Oh, you decided that you need to let go of X amount of employees. Whenever there's a big change happening, whenever there's something different, um, mm -hmm. whenever we see something on social media that puts something on Facebook or, or TikTok or wherever saying, hey, guess what? We're doing this or we're, we're trying out this new thing or we just decided that we were going to start making craft seltzers as well as craft beer. We make it a point to have a conversation with them and say, okay, you know, your policy currently says this. What changes do we need to make to the policy based on what you're thinking is going to happen when you do this and, and how does it affect you? And okay, that's fantastic. You want to hire 16 people when you've never had anybody, you know, maybe you need to think about employment practices. Maybe, you know, do you have an employee handbook? Is there something we can do to help you with that? Oh, you've never done any sort of deliveries before. Guess what? Your insurance policy, your auto insurance policy is going to have a little bit of a problem with that. Let's discuss the effects. Let's talk about how any change that you might make to your operations is going to affect your insurance. And and whether or not there's coverage for it. Our best customers, we are in contact with all the time, all the time. We're always having a conversation because every time they're like, oh, this would be a great idea. Oh, wait, let me call Cedar Brew and find out what they say. Oh, hey, this is a fantastic idea. Uh, wait, no, need to find out about the insurance. Right. And the, the best business owners are the ones who get that we're not trying to be annoying. We're not trying to, to constantly have our faces in front of them. We're trying to make sure that every time they make a decision, it's going to impact your insurance in some way, shape, or form. And we're trying to make sure that every time they make that decision, the insurance is impacted in a positive way. 
Yeah. Not leaving themselves a huge hole. And the clients that we have that get that totally love us for it. And there are some clients who think that we're just really annoying and we're constantly trying to, you know, make them buy more things. And, you know, and I totally understand that. I get that. You know, it's not the first time or the only time that I'll hear it when I'm having that conversation with them. Um, A lot of people just don't like insurance and they don't trust insurance people. And, you know, that's a a stereotype that, that we just have to deal with. Um, but the clients who get it and who who hear our passion and who see what we're trying to do for them call us every time they're trying to make a big decision because they know that we've explained to them how it could affect their insurance. Well, I hope that all of the small brewery owners that are listening right now, uh, you know, go take a look at uh, how you're covered and who you're covered with and uh, start asking the tough questions. There's no time like the present to, to take care of it. And I know if, if people want to learn more from you and uh, Cedar Risk Management, they can go on to cedarrisk.com. Um, thanks for thanks for doing this. Thanks for, for talking me through a little bit of insurance and what people should be thinking about. I really appreciate it. Oh, no, I appreciate you having me on. This was so much fun. <laughs> My thanks to Molina, and John Palmer is coming up next. But first, a few words from our sponsors. ABS Commercial will be selecting one lucky brewery who will receive a free Keg Viking keg washer. To enter the contest, visit abs-commercial.com. Yakima Chief Hops has officially launched their newest product, Cryopop Original Blend. They engineered a supercharged pellet that shows massive tropical, stone fruit, and citrus aromas in your finished beers. Learn more at cryopopblend.com. And BSG Craft Brewing. Nobility is now available from BSG Craft Brewing. Enjoy the primary aromas and flavors of citrus, lemongrass, green tea, and herbaceous with an alluring mixture of floral and spice. Learn more at bsgcraftbrewing.com. And sign up today for the BYO Boot Camps. Coming up on May 21st, don't miss a live online craft brewery startup boot camp. More information on the seven-hour workshop can be found at byo.com slash bootcamps. I've made a joke in the past that Water, a comprehensive guide for brewers, the book released by Brewers Publication and co-authored by John Palmer and Colin Kaminsky, is so technical and can be so tough to get through that no one has ever actually finished it. In fact, I've joked that the last hundred or so pages in the book are actually blank, but nobody's ever made it that far to actually realize it. Of course, that joke isn't all that funny, and the book is actually critically important to any brewery education. John Palmer joins me on Zoom this month to talk about the book, water profiles for hazy IPA and even hard seltzer, and what small breweries should be thinking about when it comes to their water source and program. We need water for life and beer, and sometimes it's overlooked in favor of more exciting ingredients like hops. But the more we know about water, the better beer can be, and the more customers will engage with you. John spoke to me from California. Well, I can't believe that it's taken more than a year of this podcast to have John Palmer. He is the co-author of Water, a comprehensive guide for brewers. He is a well-regarded home brewer and brewing consultant and all-around master of brewing water sciences. Um, And I already feel like I'm back in high school 
uh, and 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 my science class where I was probably finishing last uh, talking to you. So um, first, thanks for doing this, John. Oh, happy to, happy to. <laughs> I mean, I know you get a lot of offers, so I appreciate us uh, uh, making it through all of your various levels of assistance and uh, uh, your meeting schedule <laughs> and everything else like that. Um, I'm sure you've answered this before in the past, but when it comes to brewing ingredients, uh, hops are very sexy and exciting. Uh, you know, malt is, is sort of catching on. Yeast is, is, is revered. Water, so critically important, but doesn't always get the attention that it, that it really needs. What, what drew you to covering water, writing about water, becoming you know, yeah. so interested in it that you've become this international brewing expert in the in the most important ingredient in in beer well you know it's i think it's it's that that mythos of water that you know rocky mountain spring water this water that water um the water of pilsen the water of burton on trent england um early on in my home brewing career um you know, that question nagged me, you know, what's the deal with water? How, how much, how significant is it? Um, and, and a lot of it was, you know, uh, wanting to poke holes in, you know, the marketing of, of major brewing companies. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, really, you know, how important is it really? So, um, uh, AJ, AJ DeLang, was posting about water in the homebrew digest um 30 years ago mm -hmm. <laughs> wow and <laughs> um we you know we were talking and uh i was emailing them and so on and i said well you know it seems to me like there's two competing factors you got the calcium and magnesium that you know, react and lower mash pH, and you've got the alkalinity that buffers mash pH. And he goes, well, yes, that is essentially it. Um, and I said, yeah, and I said, I've worked, you know, out this kind of general relationship. And he goes, oh, that's really interesting, because you've just kind of, you know, mimicked the work of John uh, Paul Kolbach, the famous brewing scientist from the 1940s that uh, gave us the Kolbach equation and the Kolbach index and a few other things. Um, but, you know, so that AJ understood water at that time and I didn't. Mm -hmm. And even when, when Colin uh, Kaminsky and I wrote the water book, uh, yeah. Colin has always been a, a uh, not a fan, but I mean, with, uh, a investigator of water wanting to, you know, improve his brewing and you know understand you know the brewing process as well as he could so we both uh adjusted our water and that's what got us interested in writing the book well aj um was one of our technical advisors on the book and uh you and I were joking earlier how, you know, the, the back of the book is essentially empty. It, there's nothing <laughs> yeah, there. No, nobody's made it that far. It's, yeah. yeah. But um, <laughs> it's the, 297 pages. Uh, yeah. There's like a hundred pages worth of text. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're all equations. Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, AJ was able to help us 
fill in the blanks, fill in those missing jigsaw pieces that, um, I mean, you know, I was going to say, you think reading the water book was hard. You should have tried writing it. Oh, no, uh, I couldn't. I, yeah, there's, there's know, no way in hell that I could even attempt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite stories about the, the book is that, um, as Colin and I were writing, you know, we're thinking really, you know, we should put in like a chemistry primer because a lot of people have forgotten their high school chemistry if yeah. they ever had it. And um, AJ, we were talking with AJ and he said, well, I could, I could do that. And I was like, oh, really? Well, that'd be great. And it's like, you know, we just, you know, put that up as Appendix A. And at that point in time, I think Colin and I had maybe 30 pages of text between us, you know, a couple of chapters. Yeah. Um, AJ came back over the weekend with 80 pages <laughs> of chemistry primer, starting with quarks and building up from there. Sure. <laughs> you know, quarks to electrons yeah. to, oh, and um, it, we just laughed because it was so, he, he was in earnest. I mean, here is a primer on chemistry. And, you know, it was more than we had written to date and way more advanced than we needed. Um, but, you know, he he understood water and helped us eventually understand it. And the writing of the book um, went on for two or three years. Mm -hmm. um, and we were at least a year behind our submission date on the manuscript. Christy Switzer is the publisher of Brewer's Publications. I'm sure she was very understanding, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, every I mean, week. She knew, she knew what a blockbuster this was going to be. I mean, top of the Times bestseller list. And yeah. <laughs> Good things yeah. take time. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, and I'd have to say, well, we're not done yet. We need to run some more experiments to confirm what we're thinking. And if it works, then I'll know more. And that went on. That went on for like three four five months um weekend to weekend wow aj doing some experiments and testing out hypotheses and stuff and um yes eventually we got the final experiment done and it all came together for me and i understood how the pieces fit together and i was able to finish the last three chapters you know in a couple of days and send the manuscript off um but because we were so far behind on our deadline, you know, looking back at it, what was missing was that overview chapter of how does all of this fit together? Mm -hmm. And because right now all the, all the, all the main pieces are there, but it's a lot of people like yourself have read it and still don't understand the big picture in many yeah. cases. Um, Many people have read it and do, but I mean, yeah. I got to get I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd hope, you know, the professionals yeah. would. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and very often is what is missing is that. And so I, I've spent the last, what, five years since it came out. I don't know how long it's been. Maybe it's been 10 years now um, doing my water presentations all around the world, um, trying to, trying to give that big picture to people. Uh, and, and, uh, and I think, I think, I mean, I know a lot of people have come back and said, oh, okay, now it makes sense. And I'm adjusting my water and, you know, my beers are better, which, you know, makes us very happy. Yeah. And, and that's sort of the thing, right? When, when people are thinking about building out a brewery, 
um, they start thinking about hop contracts or they start thinking about equipment. Um, mm-hmm. you know, they want to make sure that they have the yeah. right size water main coming in so that it's not a trickle. They can actually you know, fill their kettles you know, pretty, yeah, pretty exactly. easily. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I'm still sort of amazed when people don't know what aquifer they're on or, you know, where their municipal water is coming from or whether, you know, unless it's right. on a farm where it's coming from the well, um, which, which is great. When, when you think about though, some of the, you know, uh, Burton or, or Pilsen or, you know, Rocky Mountain water streams and trying to poke holes early on in, in, in some of uh, Big Beer's claims. Um, how important is regionality? Well, it can be very important. And, and, and again, this is kind of one of those messages that kind of gets lost in the weeds in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason we adjust water. The primary reason is to achieve our target mash pH. Now, when you look at enzymatic conversion of the amylases and so on, and on the starches, they operate best in terms of most efficiently at higher pH, 5.8, even up to six. They work just fine up at high pH. The problem is that beer flavor is not as good at those higher pHs. Mm-hmm. And so in terms of uh, balancing all the other parameters that are important to us in beer, um, even though, yes, we get best conversion at higher, higher pH, uh, better flavor, better hot break, better protein degradation, and, you know, a lot of other enzymatic processes uh, come out better at a little lower pH. And that's how we get down to the mid to the low to mid fives as our target region. So that's the number one reason we adjust water is to help drive mash pH down into this more favorable low to mid fives rather mm-hmm. than the higher fives to six. Once we've done that, the second reason we can play with water is because the minerals in the water uh, act as seasoning. And, uh, you know, we talk about sulfate and chloride ratio. We talk about the total amount of dissolved solids in the water. Those act as the seasoning on the beer flavor. So it's, uh, once you understand those are the two keys, then regionality is less important and especially classic brewing cities are much less important. Um, But what is important for the new brewer is understanding what their source water is. Mm -hmm. You know, what are they starting from? And in many cases, especially here in North America, land of a giant, you know, prehistoric inland sea, um, so many of our aquifers are limestone. And so we have high alkalinity that buffers the water, the mash pH high and creates these high mash pHs of 5.8 to 6.0, which conversion works. You know, we still make wort and we still make beer, but the flavors can be kind of coarse. The bitterness can be kind of harsh. And so when it comes to brewing nice pilsners, um, that's where you see, uh, you know, Rocky Mountain spring water entered the picture because, um, you know, 
precipitation or you know um, surface water you know fresh from them from the clouds very low mineral content doesn't have the alkalinity in it from the limestone and so um, you don't have that buffering driving up mashed ph and so you you get a you you get that more refined beer flavor um, and so understanding your source water is very key if you're going to open a brewery um, i remember i've i've talked to you know so many people over the years uh, one brewer i think it was up in alaska or canada um emailed me and you know described this beautiful idyllic island that he uh, had set up a brewery on it was a tourist area but he said here are my water analysis and he had like 400 parts per million of alkalinity in his water, hmm. which was literally unbrewable. Yeah. Um, and he was remote enough that, you know, shipping in tanks of acid to neutralize that amount of alkalinity was cost prohibitive. Yeah. He's going to go out of business just after yeah. the first shipment. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it was... A really unfortunate in that case i mean and and then you have other situations where you know brewers are saying oh yeah my water is really hard and i'm having problems and you look at their analysis and you know they got they got practically pilsen like water um and it's like no you're it's your process <laughs> you know whatever you're doing um is causing your scaling problem because you know, your water has nothing in it yeah um so, you know, that's, you know, from a, for, for new brewers, understanding your source water is the surface water, is it a groundwater, you know, is it high alkalinity or low alkalinity it makes a huge difference in, you know, the issues that you're going to have in brewing various styles of beer. And that's, that's what the water book can help address. When I'm, when you're talking about styles and it's, it's so interesting, I was talking to Jeff Allworth recently. And, oh yeah. Uh, Je Jeff released uh, the, the beer Bible. I think it came out about five years ago and I know your book is older than that, but uh, his book had maybe a passing glancing reference to hazy IPA and mm. kettle sours were not really being discussed, um, you know, aside right. from the, you know, some of the historical uh, terms and the beer world has changed so much um in, in in the last couple of years um when you think about hazy ipa which sort of rules the roost right now yeah what's a water profile that generally For, works yeah um the water the the baseline water profile for brewing let's let's start there for any style needs to have sufficient calcium and sufficient magnesium and those numbers are generally 50 to 100 parts per million of calcium is sufficient. Uh, magnesium, somewhere around 10 to 20 parts per million is usually sufficient. Um, the sulfate, chloride, sodium can be, you know, anywhere because you can often add calcium salts to build those up. Alkalinity it helps if alkalinity is naturally low, like a surface water, like mm -hmm. Rocky Mountain spring water. Um, low alkalinity allows you to brew the pale beers, including hazy IPAs and IPAs that people generally 
uh, are the which are the most popular styles. If you have high alkalinity, you can brew dark styles more readily because the dark malts balance the uh, alkalinity of the water and you still achieve your target mash pH. Um, but when it comes to brewing pale beers like that, the hazy IPA, you generally want low alkalinity. So um, low, I mean around 50 parts per million. Mm -hmm. um, it's hard to get below 50 parts per million, especially in North America, unless you're on a, unless your municipal water is a surface water source. Okay. Surface water, you know, lakes, rivers, streams, reservoirs. Yeah. Reservoir. Uh, those will generally be less than 50. Okay. Um, but if you're on a groundwater source, um, it could be anywhere from 100 to 300. Um, Madison, Wisconsin is a great example of high alkalinity groundwater. Um, they're around 300 parts per million. Hmm. And uh, so, you know, but it's, it's no wonder that Milwaukee, Chicago, you know, um, they pull, they, you know, those big brewing cities, they pulled their water from Lake Michigan. Yeah. And uh, it makes, it made the whole water question uh, rather immaterial. You know, they didn't need to worry about it. Um, but um, yeah. Oh, and I was, sorry, yeah. going back to hazy IPAs. Okay. Um, chloride, sulfate to chloride ratio. Yeah. West Coast IPAs, you generally want higher sulfate than chloride because mm -hmm. you're looking for the sulfate to help accentuate the hop character, dry out the character of the beer. Sulfate has a very dry taste, if you yeah. will, dry mouthfeel. And so it punches up the, the bitterness sensation, um, not, not actually, not in terms of IBUs, but in terms of the way you perceive that bitterness. Yeah. Um, more sulfate accentuates that. Chloride, on the other hand, um, and its partner sodium, and, you know, table salt, they, it, when you add more chloride and sodium to the water, um, it acts like table salt and sweetens and rounds out the malt character, um, just like it does any other food. So um, hazy IPA, when you're looking for this juicy, uh, fruity character um, and a little sweeter uh, background, um, higher chloride than sulfate uh, helps that. And so generally you're looking around 100, even up to 200 ppm of chloride, although that's getting excessive. Um, and in low sulfate, you know, 50 to 100 um, is reasonable. And that, that swapping of higher chloride, lower sulfate uh, helps sweeten that malt character um, makes the bitterness a little less robust um, and kind of make it taste juicier. The other thing about a hazy IPA is that you need to have a low mash pH to help you end up with a low beer pH. The high amount of hops that you use in hazy IPAs, such as, um, you know, for for whirlpool hopping, for dry hopping, you know, you'll be using two, three, four, five pounds per barrel in terms of, you know, your hop load. And um, uh, let's see, a pound per barrel, I think works out to about a half ounce per gallon, if I remember right, or four grams per liter. Um, 
that amount of hops ra it raises mash raises the pH of the beer. So it's it's very common for heavily uh, whirlpool hopped and dry hopped beers, hazy IPAs, to end up with a beer pH that's approaching five rather than the more typical 4.2, 4.3 that you would see in a pale ale or a mm -hmm. West Coast IPA. And uh, again, that high pH uh, makes the beer seem less crisp, less, less acidic. It takes away from the juiciness aspect of the hazy, the hazy beer. Yeah. and the hop character um and it, and the higher ph also makes that hop character that's there taste coarser and uh, more bitter than it would than it would taste down at 4.2 I, I i'm glad i didn't surprise you with that question because i imagine since you know you don't really get into it in the book that uh, this would be something that has come up quite a bit in the last couple of years yeah yeah it has and um, I guess it's a, it's a very common question that I get is, you know, what, what should my water character be for hazy IPA? Yeah. Um, how much chloride should I add? And that's another thing that um, as brewers, we need to be careful about is, you know, not to oversalt the beer, mm -hmm. you know, less is more. I mean, we're looking for enhancement of the flavors that are there, not trying to oversalt and dominate you know, because it just doesn't work. All you end up with is a minerally tasting beer um, rather than, you know, enhanced when you oversalt. Yeah. Because the beer world is so weird right now, I'm, I'm also guessing that you get a lot of the, what about hard seltzer? Question. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, that, and that's, that's a great question because it I mean, goes there, back. There's nothing to hide. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and it goes back to, you know, why are we adjusting water in the first place where we're doing it for mash pH? So if you're brewing predominantly sugar, <laughs> mash pH is not important. Right. Um, and so a lot of the reasons we adjust water go out the window. So in hard seltzer, you're looking for a very clean tasting water and generally a fairly low mineral water uh, because, you know, you're not, there's really no reason to add more minerals. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, and just like, you know, when you go to the store and buy bottled water, I mean, it has some level of minerals for enhanced flavor because distilled water really doesn't taste like anything. Yeah. Same with hard seltzer. So, you know, a, a normal, typical, uh, low mineral water works very well for hard seltzers. When, when you're, I don't want to spend too much time on seltzer, um, even okay. though I know it's, it's, it's ruling the roost and everybody's sort of making it these days. Um, but I'm, 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 I want to go back to something that you said earlier, because when you have a water that doesn't really taste like anything, it just tastes like water, but you were talking about seasoning before and some of the, yeah. the, the, the minerals that are in there as well. Um, we think about what malt can taste like. We think about what hops can taste like. We think about the aromas that uh, uh, yeast can provide. When, when, when you talk about some of those seasonings, um, are, are there familiar food or aroma terms 
that you can put to that, that we should be having all olfactory senses, our, 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 our brains sort of trying to, to home in on as, as we're drinking a, a, a beer? I, I see where you're, I see what you're saying. And yeah. the, the answer is really no. Okay. Um, uh, the way the water affects the beers is two is a couple ways. Uh, one is the final beer pH. Mm-hmm. The final beer pH dictates how the flavors of the beer are expressed to your palate. The if the pH of the beer is on the low end, you know, four four point to four point two, it's more acidic, and a more acidic uh, solution tends to focus the flavors. Mm-hmm. And so in a pale beer, like a pale lager or an ad, pale adjunct lager, um, that lower beer pH tends to focus and brighten the malt and hop characters. When you're, you know, you're working with a single base malt, uh, typically a Pilsner malt, um, it helps brighten and focus that malt character, which is it, which is good for that style of beer. Um, the the other end, a higher pH um, for a dark beer, uh, a little higher pH, um, beer pH 4.4 to 4.6 tends to unfocus the flavor. And in the case of a multi malt um, uh, dark beer, we have, you know, three, two, three, four specialty malts in there that tends to open up those malt flavors and allow you to taste each of those aspects. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, that's one way that water impacts beer flavor. Of course, the other way is the sulfate and chloride, you know, yeah. accentuating the hop character or, or accentuating the malt character of the beer. And that can only go so far. Um, there's the third aspect, which is the mineral structure, the total dissolved solids in the beer. It really, the total amount of sulfate and chloride and calcium and so on in the water. Um, and you can readily think of that as the amount of salt that you add to your food, you know, lightly salted, heavily salted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the, the example I often give for this is a uh, uh, Bohemian Pilsner, German Pilsner, Dortmund or export, mm-hmm. you know, three very similar beer styles, but they don't taste the same. And part of the reason for that difference in character is the amount of mineral in the water that is supporting the beer's flavors. Bohemian Pilsner tends to be kind of soft, big, malty, bitter, but, you know, soft. German Pilsner, a little more crisp. Dortmunder Export, uh, much more robust flavors, more, more bitter, more malty, but really a lower original gravity uh, and bitterness than the other two styles. But it doesn't taste like it because you've got more salt, more seasoning in the water. Um, And so, yeah, water in and of itself doesn't have aspects to that you would call out on a judge, uh, you know, a score sheet. Right. Um, Although I will... I, I will frequently when I'm judging comment on the, you know, finish and mouthfeel of beer and say that, you know, this beer has a watery finish. 
Um, and that can often happen from brewing with distilled water. Is that a compliment or not? If you say not really. Has a, okay. Um, you know, it's, it's one thing, you know, in like a, a light American lager style uh, where you know, you're looking for a very light, refreshing beer you know there it you know it's not surprising it has kind of a watery finish or a very uh and by watery finish we're saying that there, you know that malt character or the hop character really doesn't persist after you swallow mm -hmm. it's just gone and generally in in most other beer styles pale ales you know and on through you know the spectrum up to stouts and porters um you are looking for uh, a nice clean malty finisher or in the case of IPAs you know a clean bitter finish um, that you know and so when you have a watery finish in one of those styles um, it generally means that there's some aspect of flavor lacking in the beer and like I say, that often comes from brewing with distilled water or mm -hmm. brewing these, uh, these uh, other styles with very low mineral water. So back to that, to that, to that question, because I, 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 I figured that there wasn't, I, I, I figured mm -hmm. it was an inarticulate question, but also not an easy one to answer. And right, right. this has been from the consumer aspect and talking to patrons in a tap room, you know, when people are at tap rooms and that kind of yep. thing, it's easy to talk about hops. It's easy to talk about malt um, or even yeast, but like when you're a small brewer and you're trying to convey your recipe to somebody who's sitting at your bar, yeah, where, where do you suggest the conversation? Because again, if you only have a few minutes with somebody, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. if you are going to talk about water, yeah. How do you articulate that to the customer who might be a beer fan, might just be stopping in, has not read your book, um, you know, and might not read your book because they're not into beer in the same way that you know, professionals are, you know, I am, yeah. that kind of thing. Where do you start that conversation? How do you have that quick conversation? Oh, yeah, that that's a great question. Um, it's really hard to have that conversation with somebody that's not a brewer. Yeah. Um, because, you know, as I, as we've been talking about, you know, the the impact of water is subtle and it it's it's effects are felt in the other flavors of the beer in the malt character and the hop character um so you know if, if i'm talking if i'm a, let's, i'm gonna start here if i'm talking to the brewer at a, mm -hmm. at a brew pub or to you know to the brewmaster or someone that knows beer like that then I can talk about, you know, this beer seems to be lacking some dimension, you know, uh, the or maybe the hop character is a little coarse, or you know, there's a there's a wateriness to the finish, you know, some some aspect of the malt flavor and aroma, some mm -hmm. aspect of the hop flavor and aroma, or even some factor about the yeast flavor aroma that's not coming through it just feels like there's you know something missing and that's that conversation i can have with a brewer and i can you know and then i can tie it to mash ph and beer ph and sulfate to chloride but for the consumer that doesn't know those relationships uh 
it's a really hard conversation to have. I mean, yeah. you could, you, and so that's where you kind of tend to fall back on classic brewing city. But um, then you start basically making shit up because, you know, yeah. it's, it, it, uh, yeah, that's, that's a very hard conversation to have. I, one of the things that I've been, I felt better about when I've, when I've been out at breweries and talking with folks is when brewers talk about water conservation and mm -hmm. uh, keeping mm -hmm. our waterways clean and the, the overall importance and uh, far from a nano brewery, but new Belgium had their earth day beer where they were talking about what does the beer of the future taste like if we don't take care of the planet. And, right. um, breweries, I think are in a unique position you know, because they use so much water and because it's so important in the beer to be having these conversations of with their customers on protecting waterways and yeah. um, you know knowing where the water comes from, but also how everybody can sort of do their part to you know, ensure that this you know, vital natural resource is, is is protected as much as possible. Um, is is that something that you you find yourself talking about a lot these days? The larger environmental impacts on yeah, I mean that yeah. that's a, that is a frequent conversation. Um, it is, you know, not my area of expertise per se, right. but um, that you know that you're you're absolutely right that that is um, a, a big topic, a concern, you know, sustainability for the industry. Um, you know, fortunately, brewers in general have a really good hand on uh, how we can conserve water. Um, during the process. And, you know, there's a lot of resources that are described in the book and, and, you know, things that I learned in going to New Belgium and Stone and Sierra Nevada on how they treat their wastewater, you know, wash water from the floor and, and so on and recycle that mm -hmm. um, and treat it in house. So, yeah, it's, it, it's very, I shouldn't say easy, but it is becoming common to have breweries that are using you know three barrels of water for one barrel of beer these days where you know and that's that's really good i mean especially when you compare it to many other industries uh metalworking and manufacturing you know various manufacturing and and especially agriculture you know, the amount of water that's used in those can be an order of magnitude higher, yeah. you know, per, per, per product weight. Um, so uh, it, is, it is, you know, it, it is a very important conversation to keep having and keep, you know, and trust driving for improvement. Um, but uh, I'm, I think as an industry, um, when, when it comes down to hard facts, uh, we're looking pretty good. Wastewater, I think, is so important as well. Um, mm -hmm. And I remember visiting The Alchemist a couple of years ago, and John Kimmich was walking me around. And the first thing he wanted to show me was his wastewater treatment area. Mm -hmm. um, and at first, I was a little confused, but then I fully understood why. Um, he's obviously a larger brewer, not a nano. Mm -hmm. But... On the smaller scale, when somebody's thinking about building a you know, small seven barrel or less brewery, should they be thinking about their wastewater? Should they be thinking about 
the longer or the, the larger ramifications. I mean, there's already so much to, to, to be thinking about, but the end process, yeah, should that be on people's minds? It should. Um, the, there, there is a threshold though, when you are, you know, a seven barrel, 10 barrel size brewery, just doing a couple thousand barrels a year, you're really kind of below threshold uh, where you're using and discharging um, maybe, you know, a hundred households worth of water yeah. to the sewer. Not a, not a big deal, you know, in terms of the overall impact. Um, but, and in terms of your cost to treat, you know, there's really no incentive there where, where you see, you know, large, medium sized brewers and large breweries really start tackling water treatment is because it now makes economic sense. Um, they're able to reduce their, their, you know, their costs, their sewering costs substantially by treating the water in-house. And often this, you know, starts out with, you know, an equalization tank where all the water, the, all the discharge water from the floor, uh, which is often full of, you know, caustic and other cleaning chemicals, uh, gets sent to an equalization tank where it can be uh, blended and the pH reduced to uh, down to, you know, more normal levels yeah. before it's discharged the sewer because that has a significant impact on sewering costs. Um, likewise, being able to strip uh, solids and, and um, you know, biological solids out of the waste stream uh, it has a significant impact in reducing the load on the sewer. Um, and so, yeah, it, you know, it, it, in a small brewery, the amount of discharge um, is usually not consequential. But as you get up to medium size, it does become consequential. And economically, uh, it makes sense to start treating it more. Um, you know, a small brewer could uh, do more. He could, and you know, he could have an equalization tank. Uh, not a not a big investment, and it would certainly. Um, you know, bring that brewer peace of mind that he's doing, you know, uh, taking good steps to help, you know, the, the community in terms of uh, impact in the environment. Uh, jokes about blank pages in your, uh, in your book aside, uh, ah. I always feel better when I go into a brewery and I see a really beat up copy of the book. <laughs> Um, Me too. <laughs> yeah, behind the bar somewhere, or you know, or or even better, like at the brewer's table, um, back in the brew house. I always feel better uh, because I know that they're that they're taking it seriously. Um, have you all thought about updating this? Are, are there things that you want to get out there and add? Um, uh, you know, we haven't really I mean, talked about it. I mean, yeah, it's. <laughs> I just finished writing another book, and I, I don't wish it upon anybody. So yeah, um, yeah. I don't know why I'm, I'm I'm encouraging you to do it. Uh, but um, would there be things that you'd want to? Be well, I think that in the modern age. Yeah, that overview chapter would be one thing to add. Um, there are, and and in the last, you know, in the over the, in the last ten years since we published this, you know, RO systems have become common 
in yeah. in many breweries. Um, and so, you know, more in in discuss in uh, I guess explaining you know best practices on using RO systems in modern breweries would be a th- something could be added. Um, but you know, the way of things these days, I mean, a lot of that information is readily available on the internet. Sure. Um, so it's hard to, you know, hard to know, you know, is it really, uh, necessary to revise the book at this point? I don't know. Maybe another five years. I'll, I'll say differently. <laughs> <laughs> Revising how to brew after 10 years that, that took another three years of work. Um, with, with traveling and so on and, you know, trying to squeak it in on the sides. Yeah. Um, yeah. Revising, revising takes a lot of uh, time. You know, you're going to change one, one sentence in a paragraph and now the paragraph doesn't flow very well. And, you know, and then you realize that the, the whole section doesn't flow very well. So you got to kind of start over and rewrite it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Before the, we let you go, um, I, I, you mentioned Madison before, and we were talking about Rocky Mountain oh, yeah. and, and, and all of the other here in the States. Um, is there some place that you've visited where you've had a glass of water from the tap and you've just been happy? Um, yeah, gosh, I really, I really can't think of one that springs to mind. Um, most, you know, most water tastes good. Yeah. Uh, it's when you have the high chloride or the high chlorine, I should say, yeah. you know, that the water can taste kind of bad. Or if you get it, you know, minerally water with iron and so on, which is, you know, common in the, in the East and Midwest, um, groundwater sources that can, that can be bad, but generally I can't, I can't think of, I can't think of any time where I've tasted water and said, Oh, this would be wonderful beer. <laughs> See, that's uh, I, 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 if you had said a city, I imagine that uh, a whole uh, uh, visitors bureau, um, <laughs> tourism bureau, would have built an entire campaign around yeah. the John Palmer endorsement. So, uh, yeah. uh, sorry, American cities, you're just going to have to wait. Um, John, I have to say that if if I had you as my high school science teacher uh, instead of Mr. Sampson, uh, I probably would have uh, gotten a D plus, um, uh, which would have been great for me. So, thank you for. Thanks for being patient. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks for very, really very talking welcome. about water and all that you're doing out there. It's so critically important and everybody should read this book um, over and over and over again until you understand it and make better beer because of it. So thanks for, thanks for um, doing this. My job. pleasure. And th- thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Before we go, I'd like to hear from you. How many times have you read water by John Palmer and Colin Kaminsky? You can email me nano at byo.com. And I'll invite you to head over to BYO.com slash nanopodcast and subscribe to the newsletter, the magazine, and catch up with great pro-brewing content. New episodes of this show are released on the 15th of every month, so subscribe now and never miss a show when it's released. And you can also do us a favor by leaving feedback on your podcast platform of choice or by emailing nano at BYO.com or checking in with us on all of the BYO social media channels. Before we go, I'm really happy to tell you that this episode is sponsored by ABS Commercial. 
ABS Commercial is giving back to the craft beer community. ABS will be selecting one lucky brewery who will receive a free Keg Viking keg washer. ABS has already given away two keg washers to date, one to Rough Edges Brewing in Pennsylvania and another to Lazy Horse Brewing in Nebraska. The third keg washer winner will be announced on June 4th live on the ABS Commercial Facebook page. To enter the contest, visit abs-commercial.com to learn more. We're also brought to you by Yakima Chief Hops. Yakima Chief Hops has officially launched their newest product, Cryopop Original Blend. YCH has combined their proprietary cryogenic hop processing technology with cutting-edge lab analysis to create cryohops with a pop. Using this new research to identify the most beer-soluble hop compounds that survived the brewing process, they engineered a supercharged pellet that shows massive tropical, stone fruit, and citrus aroma in your finished beers. Learn more at cryopopblend.com. And we're also brought to you by BSG Craft Brewing. Distinguished listeners, we present to you a new hop solution from BSG, one of the highest pedigree and prestige, Nobility. Specifically developed with lager brewing in mind, Nobility is focused on a balanced, noble hop-style character. Enjoy primary aromas and flavors of citrus, lemongrass, green tea, and herbaceous with an alluring mixture of floral and spice. Get to know Nobility by going online to bsgcraftbrewing.com. And don't forget to sign up today for the BYO Boot Camps. Coming up on May 21st, don't miss a full-day, live, online craft brewery startup boot camp. If you've ever dreamed about opening up your own brewery, get the numbers and plans you need to be more successful with Steve Parks of the American Brewers Guild, Audra Gazanis on, on business planning, and Matthew McLaughlin on startup legal tips. More information on the seven-hour workshop can be found at byo.com bootcamps. I'm John Hall, and you can still find me weekly behind the microphone on the Drink Beer, Think Beer podcast, as well as Steal This Beer, and you can find those where podcasts are found, and I hope you'll tune in. Our theme music was created by Scott McCampbell, and we thank him for that. And once again, be sure to check out byo.com slash nanopodcast for all your nano brewing needs. And for now, we wish you all the best for a small but successful brew.